0: this morning comes from the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 1 through 23. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I may go and honor him. And when they heard the king, they went. And look, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. They, then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. And when the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt, and he stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. And this fulfilled the words spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and much grieving, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were no more. After King Herod died, an angel from the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, and take the child and his mother and go up to the land of Israel. Those who were trying to kill the child are now dead. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus ruled over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he went to the area of Galilee. He settled in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. Again, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, open our ears that we may hear your truth, open our eyes that we may see your kingdom, and open our hearts and minds that we might know the cries of our brothers and sisters who are hungry and hurting and sometimes even dying without the knowledge of your love for them. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, it's a quirk of the way that the calendar falls this year. Today is Epiphany Sunday in the United Methodist Church. In other traditions, it's the first Sunday after Christmas, the eighth day of Christmas that we hear celebrated in song about partridges and pear trees and all of that. This coming Friday, January 6th, will be the Epiphany, the official end of Christmas. And only a small percentage of Christians will take note here in the United States since they ceased being Christmassy the day after Christmas, even though the church celebrates the 12 days of Christmas and we call uh, in, in the season that we call Tide, But in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, Epiphany is Christmas. Epiphany is the day that the wise men arrived at the place where Joseph and Mary were staying and worshipped the newborn baby Jesus. Now in our Cliff Notes version of Jesus' birth, we converge all these miracles of Emmanuel, God with us, into one magical manger night. But these wise men, who were Persian astrologers, Gentile wizards, outside-the-box scholars of their day, were still following that strange star during this time. They were making their way to Bethlehem to find whatever awaited them at the end of their star quest. They were not sure what they would find, but they followed the star well-stocked. These astrologers went to a kind of theological bass pro shop to be prepared for all the possibilities of what might lay at the end of that star. One brought a gift for a king, nothing less than pure gold. Now, gold's never a bad choice. Gold testified to the true royalty of this sign-rich king. But how was this newborn child, not born in a beautifully carved crib, but in a stable and laid in a manger, in any way, was a ki- how was he a king? To leave a gift of gold for such a hapless child was a true testimony of faith. The second wise man, or scientist, brought frankincense, a gift that would be appropriate for a priest, for one who would serve God's mission, in this world. The gift of frankincense would provide the scent of an offering to an attentive God and provide a sense of peace to those who made their sacrifice of this this fragrant gift. Did the baby Jesus look like a potentially powerful priest? Probably not. Leaving an expensive gift of a pot of frankincense was truly another act of faith. And the third astrology, or wizard, brought myrrh. And this was perhaps the most insightful and probably the most weird of the three gifts of the Magi. Myrrh was used as an embalming spice. It was used in the burial rituals. In fact, myrrh was a sign of death. Not a very traditional shower gift for a baby. Yet here is death in attendance at the baby Jesus's bedside. Think about it. What was an amazing foretelling of what Jesus's life would be on this earth as a king, as a priest, and as the Messiah? Jesus' birth transformed the definition of kingship from power to service. And Jesus called into being a new kind of service. A service to the least, not a service to those with the most to give, or a service to those most invested in keeping up the status quo. Now what was it that the wise men had seen? Why is it that the Jewish scholars of the day had missed the event? Why did it take these visitors from the East to make the important people aware of what had occurred right under their very noses? John's Gospel tells us that the Word, Jesus, the light of the world, had come into the world, but the world did not know him. It didn't recognize him. And perhaps there were many reasons why the Jewish people missed the signs. Perhaps they were looking for an already grown-up Messiah who would assemble a great army to put down the Roman occupation. We already know from Matthew's account that Herod was terrified at that prospect. It is when the wise men give an account of their journey, a journey that had, that had been conceived up to two years earlier when the star was first visible, that he could breathe easier. What a threat could a mere child be to his power. All the more easier for him to eliminate the threat, or so he thought. So he hatched a plan to eliminate that threat by ordering the the killing of all Jewish males in the area under the age of two, a threat that was averted, at least for Jesus, when Joseph was warned in a dream to hightail it off to Egypt, and by doing so they avoided what is known as the massacre of the innocents. I asked these questions about how the people who were so anxious for a savior missed the blessing that was right under their noses, and they continued to miss that blessing throughout Jesus' life. I asked these questions knowing full well that far too many of us are guilty of missing the obvious, too. In fact, Charlene tells me that I am probably the most oblivious to to the obvious of anyone that she knows. Instead of looking for Christ, who is right in our midst, we look to other types of stars. There are so many people who crave our adoration, yet yet many of them are persons that we shouldn't want to emulate. Or in the church, we really look up to the church growth gurus or the superstar pastors who, in many cases, will tell you that they just happen to be at the right place at the right time for the spectacular to have occurred perhaps instead of looking to the media, social or otherwise, we should look to folks who felt the call of God in their life and then acted upon it. Mother Teresa is one such person. She spent her life in the slums of Calcutta tending to the poor and the outcast in that heavily structured society. And what's especially amazing about Mother Teresa is that this little Catholic nun who was so devoted to the poor and the outcast had lost the sense of God's presence. But she went on loving others and serving others because although the spark of her faith had seemed to go out, she labored on with a confidence that God had never abandoned her. Or how about Brother Ron Fender here in Chattanooga, who spent his life working with the homeless until his death in February of 2016, literally making one of his ministries the washing and curing for the feet of the chronically homeless. Or Barry Kidwell, whose mustard tree ministries, sponsored by our scenic South District and housed at First Centenary, offers food, housing, job training, and other services to the homeless in Chattanooga to help them turn their life around. Or Jim and Mary Ann Sanders, whose Shepherd's Arms ministry over in Saint Elmo for the past 27 years has brought dignity to women and children in need, providing transitional housing and job training, while bringing hope and stability to families, lifting them up out of poverty and setting them on a path of success at a rate of over 70 percent of those families that they have served, all without incurring debt and depending upon God's grace and the support of God's people to make this life-changing mission a reality. We miss the presence of Christ when we think that we're too small or too old or in some cases too young or too tired to live out our lives as followers of the one who brought light into the world, a world that was dark with sin and discouragement and hopelessness. The darkness did not overcome that light 2,000 years ago, and the darkness does not overcome it today, and we must never forget that. We miss the presence of Christ when we are so busy seeking the God of our expectations, a safe, quiet, meek, and mild God who doesn't get in the way of our biases and prejudices, that we miss the God of the universe who challenges those expectations, calls us to radical discipleship, and actually demands that we take up our cross and follow him. We miss the presence of Christ when we, when we become too preoccupied with a personal relationship with Christ that we forget that we are called to be the body of Christ, working together with other believers, each one using the gifts and graces that they have been given by God to bring the kingdom of God to life in the here and now. We miss the presence of Christ when we become so obsessed with the mistaken idea that we must be busy being Martha's, doing the work of the church, that we forget that we need to take time to be Mary's too, spending time at the feet of the Master, listening for what he is saying to us. And living our lives, lives as if Jesus makes a difference. No, he, no ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still. dear Christ enters in. On this day that practically closes out the Christmas season for us, let's not put Christ away with the decorations, but let's keep him at the center of our focus throughout the year. It took three kings to see what his own people missed, a Savior who lived in their midst. Let's not make this same mistake ourselves. On this first day of 2023, we have a chance to recommit ourselves to the task that God has set before us to make a difference in this world. And in just a moment we'll have a chance to pray a contemporary version of a prayer that is part of our heritage and part of our DNA as followers of John Wesley's method of following Jesus. We'll pray together a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition, a prayer that has been prayed by Methodists for the past two and a half centuries, a prayer that combines both holiness of heart and mind and works of piety and charity to seek wholeness with God's calling on our lives in the here and now. May we pray it in a sense of humility, and a sense of connection with the people that we are called to serve in the name of Christ, who we remember and celebrate on this day. Thanks be to God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You'll see the prayer... In your bulletin, and projected on the screen, I ask you to pray with me, please. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you, or set aside for you. Praised for you, or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to visit our website at mcfarlandumc.org to learn more about our church and the ministries that we provide to the Rossville and East Lake communities around Chattanooga. May God's blessings be yours.